Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolfe. This week, we're continuing our discussion on the recent expansion of North Carolina's private school voucher program. Commonly referred to as Opportunity Scholarships, school vouchers allow families to use public dollars to subsidize their children's education at private schools. This program used to be specifically for low-income families, but recent legislation has changed that. Today, we'll continue exploring those changes and what exactly they mean for North Carolina students and families. We are so pleased today to be joined by Senator Sidney Batch, Chair of the North Carolina State Board of Education, Eric Davis, and Dr. Stephen Owens, the Executive Director of the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. We are so pleased today to be joined by Senator Sidney Batch and also Chair Eric Davis of the North Carolina State Board of Education. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We know that in this year's budget, we saw changes to the Opportunity Scholarships Program in North Carolina. Chair Davis, can you talk a little bit about what changes will be brought by the new law? And also, what makes this a universal voucher program? There's two aspects of a universal voucher program. The first is that this most recent expansion removes nearly every limitation. The previous version uh, was focused on students of need, families of need, but in this regard, the, expect, the expansion has now made it no limits. So, so for instance, someone who makes $500,000 a year and currently sends their child to an expensive private school will now be able to spend tax dollars on that child's education. The second aspect of it being universal, in my opinion, is that it's universally bad for our state for our economy, for our public school students, for their families and our communities, and would submit that we would be well served by learning from states like Georgia, Illinois, and Tennessee that have recently pulled back strongly from these types of programs. In fact, instead of sending millions of dollars away to schools that do not have to meet our academic standards, we would be far better served to invest these dollars in raising the pay of our teachers to a competitive salary worthy of the important role they play in our state's economy and education system, and at a minimum being the leading state in the Southeast for teacher pay. Second, it would be much wiser to use these dollars on proven programs that have demonstrated they can raise the academic performance of our students. And one in particular is the CARES model in which we send experienced, talented, educators into schools and those coaches are making a significant difference. In fact, some of our schools have even not only recovered from COVID, but are now above the state average in, in uh, proficiency. So in short, the school choice we ought to be making is investing in our public school students for a better future for them and for all of us. Senator Batch, you were in the legislature when this new law was passed, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this transition to a universal voucher program, but also what are the trade-offs? What might we invest more in and less in? And uh, Chair Davis has already alluded to some possibilities. And it's interesting in a legislature where there's been so much talk about like parent uh, education and choice and engagement in schools, we have a bill that does really the exact opposite. Uh, we have a program where, especially with regards to the private schools, there's no accountability. 
right? Private schools get to choose which students they want. Public schools accept everyone. It's an open door policy. You, you come as you are, we will meet your needs. But the private schools don't have to do that. There's some private schools that say, if your child has an IEP or a 504 plan, they're not welcome, right? And so we're putting, we're putting public dollars into these institutions that you just honestly have no idea with regards to the accountability as Chair Davis just talked about. And so, you know, I equate it, frankly, to public schools are very much like the process that you would go through to buy a house, right? You have an open house, you get an inspection, you get to go in there, you get to have somebody else tell you how, how you know, solid the roof is and does the AC work. And then you basically get for private schools, a very, like a picture on the wall. And it basically says, this is what the MLS says. This is the picture, but it's as is. You don't get to have the inspection. You don't get to figure out what's actually happening or whether or not there was a flood at some point because there's no disclosures, right? So some parents are just making decisions based on private schools and hiring advertisers and marketing consultants that public schools certainly do not get to go ahead and say, let's go ahead and have your children come here. And then once they're there, they realize, oh, right, we're not going to actually have accommodations for your child. Or yeah, I know that there aren't certified teachers and we're not going to offer the AP programs. And really a lot of our students aren't actually going to college because you didn't actually get to see any of that data. Right. So I just think that it's a, it's a, it's an inequity and it's an unfairness with regards to the children that our state is supposed to serve um, and how we've been a stalwart in public education. And it's in our constitution, rare, like many states. And yet we're actually turning back um, a lot of really strong protections for children and parents actually know exactly what is happening in their children's schools. How do you think this will impact opportunities for students in public schools and in private schools? We've had this voucher program in our state for over 10 years and there's little to no data that shows that it has improved the academic performance of the few students who get vouchers, much less the thousands of students who do not. And yet there is ample evidence that there are far too many schools who receive more vouchers than they have students enrolled. So I just think this is a very troubling uh, policy. Honestly, I doubt that this expansion will have much impact on private school students, but it's certain to rob far too many of our public school students of the opportunities that they deserve and what we need for them to receive the education, to become contributing members of our society and our state and to be part of our successful economic system. We need to continue to invest in our public school students, not throw money away. I think that honestly, you know, rural North Carolina is going to hurt the most. There are already for-profit schools who are out there um, who will be able to, of course, uh, attract children outside of the school system into private schools. Um, you're going to have, a, you already have an attrition and growth, right? So there are a lot of the populations that are decreasing. Some school systems are having to actually combine elementary and middle school. And so then you're going to open it up to an entirely new um, group of individuals who otherwise wouldn't be able to, of course, access that. And, you know, to be clear, the vouchers, the availability, like, you know, Chair Davis said, there's a lot of availability, except for we just, all of this unused money year after year and over the last decade has not been used because the demand is not actually there. The challenge that we have, especially in rural North Carolina, 
Um, and, you know, fortunately I'm in Wake, we've got an amazing public school system. We can tax, you know, the Wake County commissioners tax a lot in order for us to have a really strong public school system. In rural North Carolina, you can't tax your way out of this problem, right? I think it's a failure of the legislature for failing to actually educate and fund our, um, our public schools. And this is just yet another attack on so many other areas where we already have thousands of vacancies across the state with um, in our public schools. This cannot help with morale and it certainly isn't gonna help with the vacancies that we have. If I could just add to Senator Batch's comments, you know, in over half of our counties, the public school system is the number one employer. And in the other half of our counties, it's typically second or third highest employer. So essentially what this program does is sucks money out of one of our state's largest employers and instead, it will transfer to private uh, institutions, many of which are concentrated in our large urban markets. So to support Senator Batch's comments, this will have a very detrimental impact on parts of our state that need the most investment, particularly in the education of our children. We know that in North Carolina, our constitution says that we must provide a sound basic education to all students. How can policymakers ensure that we meet that obligation under this law and what changes should be made? What it really takes is a rededication of our state to public education. That simple. And that's what we need our elected officials at the state level to lead. Yeah, it, I mean, we're really at a at a flashpoint in um, North Carolina politics and, and where we are with regards to education. For a state that has been so strong for so many decades, creating, uh, you know, an environment which frankly has had us best in business, right, for two years straight. We're not going to have that if we don't have the pipeline for educated, bright, young, talented uh, kids to come into the, into the um, workforce. I'd also say that you know, we, we say that it's a constitutional right, but it now Leandro is being brought back up at the Supreme Court, right? I mean, they're literally challenging whether or not we should invest. Their decision has been made by our appellate courts. And the, my colleagues, some of my colleagues are challenging those findings and asking for it to be redetermined. And so it's really disappointing in a time when you're doing, um, you know, a lot of things right in North Carolina for us to turn a blind eye to the challenges that we have in our public schools and to take the one resource is by far the most valuable that we have in North Carolina, which is our children, and tell them that they just need to figure it out. And that's not fair to them. It's not for their parents. Um, and I just think that we're moving in the wrong direction and we certainly need to invest heavily into our children because we know that the dividends that pay out and the return on investment is overwhelmingly more than every single dollar that we put into public education. I wonder, Chair Davis, if you could spend just a minute talking about the different choices you see available to kids and families across North Carolina. There is so many opportunities for parents and students either within the school they go to, to choose um, CTE courses, advanced placement, in the international baccalaureate, um, arts, um, just a wide array of choices. Plus, so many of our districts offer what's known as magnet schools, schools with particular themes, particular areas of focus, uh, areas of concentration that far exceed the choice that's available outside of our traditional public schools. What I hear most strongly from parents is they like the ability to choose. And some would have less choice than others, but it's finding that right fit for your child within our schools. And what we're determined to do is to meet your student 
where they are. After the break, we'll be joined by Dr. Stevens Owens, the Executive Director of the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Participate Learning, uniting our world through global learning. Welcome back. We are so pleased to continue our conversation of school vouchers. We are pleased to be joined by Dr. Stephen Owens, the Executive Director of the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So Georgia and North Carolina have some similarities politically. And as you know, North Carolina just passed universal school vouchers representing a very large jump in how much funding will go, go towards our Opportunity Scholarships Program. Um, Georgia had a similar proposal in, their in your most recent legislative session. Can you talk about what happened? It was frankly, incredibly surprising. Um, but we had a voucher, uh, Senate Bill 233, that would be about $6,500 uh, available to all students that passed out of the Senate. But once it got to the House, it was restricted to only students in the bottom 25% of schools, uh, which is already a little problematic from our organization standpoint, but we, because we feel like those school rankings, and you can see in the data, a lot more say about how many kids you have living in poverty than the quality of a school. Um, the state has really strict like power guidelines, especially in the House of Representatives. I bring that up just to say the Speaker of the House does not bring up something unless he has a really good idea of how it's going to play out. And he introduced the bill to the floor for a vote on the final day of legislative session, and it ended up failing by five votes uh, in our entire, it was shocking and beautiful, and there were gasps through the Capitol. Uh, and a big part of that was because of a coalition of the entire Democratic caucus and rural Republicans. We had 16 House Republicans that voted against the caucus even after uh, the governor had made like a personal plea uh, to get them passed um, and it failed. It, it's gonna come back up again next year, but we were really pleased with the outcome for this year. So Georgia and North Carolina, like other Southern states um, have similar origins for their voucher programs. Can you talk to us a little bit about that history? Absolutely. Georgia in 1954 actually passed an amendment that never came uh, to being implemented, but passed an amendment to the state constitution to actually dissolve the state's public education system and give everyone portions of the money that would go to that instead to spend it on private education. Um, it was in direct response to they, the state leaders feeling that schools were gonna be forced to integrate in Brown v. Board. Um, Obviously, schools were forced to integrate after the ruling of Brown v. Board of Education, but that particular amendment to never came to pass. But that's the first time we see vouchers in Georgia. And then nationwide, I think Milton Friedman came up with the idea as sort of a free market solution. But segregationists and racial, uh, racists used it as like, okay, here's our way to get ahead of um, integration of our kids actually going to school with Black kids. Um, and so it's always had a life in Georgia. It was only in the past like 15, 20 years where it gained new energy as a way to supposedly offer folks more opportunity. But as we look at it, that we know the education funding that having fully funded public schools offers kids opportunity. 
vouchers is a way um, to supposedly do the same thing, except to not cost any money. And I think that's the that's the allure for a lot of lawmakers. Is they can look like they have this proactive vision for public education, but really it's just like we don't want to we don't have the courage to raise taxes or to claw back tax rebates to actually provide for teachers and for students. And so what happens is the the camel's nose gets under the tent with like a particular population. Let's say students with disabilities. Uh, and then you expand that from not just students with an IEP, but maybe students with a 504 plan, et cetera. And Georgia also had what's called a tax credit voucher. So pulling money before the money hits the state coffers, instead of paying your taxes, you can pay a, a student scholarship organization and then they pay a voucher or they pay a private school. So these are kind of like that first entryway into the vouchers. This is the first time that we had lawmakers say, you know, it doesn't matter what the state constitution says. We have a strong Blaine Amendment that says that we cannot fund private <laughs> uh, religious institutions. Um, they're saying it does not matter what's in the state constitution. We're going to pass a universal voucher with state general funds. Um, and this is their attempt. And thankfully, they failed. Well, as you know, in North Carolina, we are the expansion passed. Um, what do you think that'll mean for public school students in North Carolina? Here's some things we absolutely know. Students who attend a private school lose out on necessary federal protections for, say, students with disabilities, uh, students who don't fit in the majority culture's view of what a student, quote unquote, should be. So if you are attending a private religious school and you're gay or gender non-conforming or your parents are divorced, uh, those schools have complete freedom and do all the time expel students like that. Um, even if they receive your child with disabilities, they are not held to those federal standards of non-discrimination, of the IEP uh, accommodations. So those are things we absolutely know. A lot of times vouchers are treated like this gift right? It's a gift to parents. Here's six grand, 10 grand, whatever it is. It's not a gift. It's a negotiation. And it's a it's the worst type of negotiation because it's a negotiation where the terms are hidden, where uh, I'm going to give your child a chance at a good ed education uh, as long as you give me some of their civil rights. Uh, and that's one of the reasons we have a longstanding opposition to this is because of that trade-off. Um, and here's what the research is kind of catching up to is that when you pass these uh, large expansions, they're primarily used by people who are already in private school. Um, and the new schools that pop up are terrible. So when people say like, what's gonna happen in rural North Carolina, you know, like what's gonna happen in Eastern North Carolina, they're not gonna have values that, yeah, they will. And it's gonna be terrible. They're gonna be very bad schools. Um, and that's what we see in Indiana and Louisiana and Ohio the effects on students' test scores in these voucher states are worse than the hit due to learning loss. Something that as public school advocates, we've heard about every single day in legislative and general assembly. Um, so those are the things we know will happen. It will have a negative effect on test scores. It will lead to kids being uh, denied rights that are guaranteed inside the public school system. Well, thank you so much for your expertise, for sharing how this played out in Georgia. Um, and we'll certainly continue to have conversations about that. Absolutely.
Thank you so much for joining us. After the break, this week's final word. With the passing of the 23-24 state budget, North Carolina became the 10th state to offer taxpayer-funded universal school vouchers to attend private schools. Despite the fact that the funds for school vouchers through North Carolina's Opportunity Scholarships Program have never been fully utilized, the new state budget triples the program's funding, allocating $4.6 billion of taxpayer dollars towards private schools over the next decade. At the same time, traditional public schools that serve as the hubs of our communities are dealing with significant challenges, including teacher and bus driver shortages, large class sizes, and overcrowded buildings due to inadequate funding from the North Carolina General Assembly, which bears the responsibility to fund school operational expenses. A recent analysis by the North Carolina Office of State Budget Management predicts that public schools could lose more than $300 million per year as a direct result of this expansion, with rural and low-wealth counties seeing the largest declines in funding. Unlike public schools, private and parochial schools have the authority to deny access to students based on religion, identity, and academic achievement. The vast majority of schools currently receiving Opportunity Scholarships voucher dollars are religious, and those schools may take action that are in opposition to parents' views or deny admission based on a family's religious choices or sexual orientation. One private school in Fayetteville made the news in 2022 after 100 students were baptized without the consent of their parents. That school received nearly $1.2 million in public taxpayer money this year. Several of the schools receiving over $1 million in taxpayer-funded vouchers this year forbid students or educators who identify as LGBTQ to be affiliated with the school. Private schools receiving taxpayer dollars may also set their own tuition rates and are not required to provide transportation or free lunch or to adhere to federal requirements for special education, which means they are not a viable choice for many families and children with the greatest needs. Private and parochial schools also lack accountability measures to guarantee that public funding they receive is being used to provide students with a quality education. Private schools receiving our tax dollars are not required to employ certified teachers and have no requirements for curriculum or academic standards. Our current voucher system has a very minimal transparency and accountability measures, and very few schools are required to publicly report their student outcome data making it difficult for parents and taxpayers to evaluate them. Recent studies, including those in Indiana, Louisiana, Ohio, and DC, find little evidence that school vouchers improve test scores. In fact, they've sometimes led to score declines. Some students had test score declines when they moved from public schools to private schools that were comparable to declines that we saw as the result of the pandemic. The expansion of the Opportunity Scholarships Program has been framed as a way to give families greater choice when it comes to education, but research shows local public schools are the choice for 85% of parents in North Carolina. And the truth is this expansion mainly offers choices to private schools, the choice of who gets educated, the choice of what qualifies as an adequate education, and the choice of how to report the outcomes of public investment. In states that have already transitioned to universal school vouchers, we know that the majority of new enrollees have never attended a public school, and it's likely the majority of those who will benefit from North Carolina's expansion will likely be families who already can afford and are sending their children to private schools. 
North Carolina has over 1.4 million students in our traditional and charter public schools that serve every child and provide vast choices and services. North Carolina public schools provide support for students with specific needs, magnet programs, dual language immersion schools, career pathway academies, early college high schools, dual enrollment options for those wishing to get college credit while in high school, and more. Shifting state funding away from our community schools that are the choice of the vast majority of North Carolina families will harm our children and our state's future. Thank you for taking time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.